right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, please guide our conversation. Guide us to do justice to the topic at hand. To be able to pursue you even in the mundane times. Even in the times in our life where things are slowing down. Where things aren't as necessarily exciting. Um, But to recognize you in those moments and to continue to pursue you even though even though it seems a lot more boring and to respond to your presence we pray for more of you lord we pray in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen well welcome to layman's terms hey uh, this is your ladies host and gentlemen trevor this is alex hey um you know what would be hey. sick is whenever we get to heaven, Jesus is like, I mean, God willing, I don't want to fall into any assumption here, but, but God willing, when we make it to heaven, that Jesus would be be like, it's your host, Jesus, get it? Because like he was the host that we were consuming, like he was in the host the whole time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just think that would be funny. I think that's I a uh, perfect transition to our topic. What, no, I'm just kidding. Wait, no, what? <laughs> uh, Alex before we turn off the camera it has a fresh fade um so he's looking he's yeah. looking fly he yes. just informed me that there are four se- four seminarians that are just giving him the cuts yeah dude they're good they're good at what they do um no yeah like literally i think the one that just cut my hair yesterday or two days ago i think possibly did a better job than for certainly than any haircut i've ever gotten from great click clips Possibly as good, if not better, than any haircut I've gotten from sports clips. However, nothing has ever touched Wedgwood. Uh, Wedgwood. Mine and Trevor's patron barber shop back in Springfield, Missouri. Dude, my boy's love. Yeah. Um, Great place. Dude, so this is so... <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, man. I'm just going to be straight up. I-, I think that just about anyone could give you a better cut than Great Clips. Um, that's okay. That's maybe True. a hot thing. Yeah. That's a hot take, but I feel like great clips is, well, no, no, no. I don't want to talk to anyone. Never mind. Uh, I got nothing else to say but, <laughs> but to, to anyone. It's That's like, fair. Someone, like That's fair. someone tunes in for the first time they work at great clips. They're like, all right, <laughs> it turns off. <laughs> um, but that'd be funny. Actually. That's yeah. huge though. They're, they're running those good cuts at the seminary. They're like cutting out that same yeah. that hair. Um, I, I'm actually, mm-hmm. I, I really like want to learn how to cut my own hair or have Kenzie learn because I would prefer to get mm-hmm. it cut like literally every two weeks if I could. Um, it's just, yeah. I don't want to pay, but it's, that's so expensive. Yeah. Weeks. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so instead I normally push it to like the six week mark when it kind of gets like very like it's six weeks is about when like your close friends will start telling you like, they'll be like, Hey, you know, have you looking like, you, you, what's your schedule looking like this week? Have you, have you, have you made it a trip to the barber recently? Or, you know, they're like, they're like, come on, maybe, maybe you need to get in there. So I feel like, do you remember that time that like you were just straight up with me and you're like, dude, you've gone too long without a cut? I'm like, all right, yeah. I guess that's fair. Alex, you were like at like the, the 12 week mark at that point, though, at least. You were I was, really pushing I was, it. I was getting shaggy. 
Yeah. That that, that man like looked junior year. Yeah, I don't know what year that was. I just remember thinking Maybe. this man needs yeah. to take care of himself. Whether or not he's discerning yeah. the seminary or not, he's still got to look fly. Um, I'm just <laughs> uh, but it was just just on a matter of prof- like professionalism and presentation, less than trying to get the ladies at that yeah. point. I was like, you just got to get after it. Um, yeah, good old haircuts. We all we all love them. I actually was trying to think of a crazy story for my week. I don't really have any except for saying. I caught a lot of heat this weekend um, because the good old Missouri State Bears somehow found their way onto the um, University of Oklahoma Sooners schedule. Um, and let me tell you, somehow. I heard about it from so many people were just roasting me <laughs> because they were like, what is this, a high school team? Like, a lot of people didn't even taunt me. Like, they were like, the game speaks enough. <laughs> a lot of people just texted me like, rip or ouch or I'm sorry you have to see this or rip. just stuff like that. <laughs> so, so much. So what was much the final crap. score? 48 to zero. And it could have been way, way worse. So, nice. as, much as, as much as we wanted to talk about stories today, <laughs> our, our, yeah, our, really. topic, our topic for the day is good stories. And it's really uh, disappointing, perhaps, <laughs> that we have none to tell. Um, but don't you just feel the difference between a week when Alex and Trevor have a good story and a week when they don't? Well, that's because we're wired for stories. True. Alex, take it away. This is true. Dude, why do I have to take it away? This was literally your idea. Because <laughs> I already <laughs> just talked for the last three minutes. Um, okay, no, I'll talk. okay, I'll go. Um, <clears throat> basically, for the last, like, few minutes leading up today, Alex and I were talking, like, what, what's a good topic? And what we really were thinking about, I was just thinking about this a lot this week and I'll, and I'll kind of explain why, but it has come to my attention or has been represented to me through my observation of life that as human beings, we are wired for stories. Um, this comes upon a reflection of a couple of things. One, I recently just finished um, A Man of the Beatitudes, which is the biography that Luciana or Luciana, I'm not sure which. Frasati wrote about her brother, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati. Um, and the reason I actually picked it up is because I was becoming somewhat convicted of this after reading another uh, theological book before. Not not dunking on theology, especially because that's literally the designation of Alex's entire studies this year. Well, I guess it's pre-theology. Um, but Yep. Philosophy still. Oh, never mind. He's not there yet. But he's getting there. He's going to have two years of it? Yeah. Three years of it? <laughs> Yeah, two years of philosophy and then four years of theology. He's going to have a lot of that theology, folks. So oh, yeah. I'm not dunking on theology. It's definitely very needed. Um, and it, in fact, it, it gives a, a, almost like a, a more of a credence and a, and a illuminatory kind of nature to stories. But that being said, I think that there is maybe something that's that's been true for all of humanity, but something that's becoming increasingly important in these times of ours that we live in is that stories often like draw us into like uh, self-reflection and to reflection of of others and so the reason I picked out this book to read as opposed to any other book that I could have been reading is I was just kind of feeling like the need in my life to be recaptivated with like basic truths of the gospel by hearing the story of a saint or I guess a blessed and so mm-hmm. I had heard that you know, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Versati being one of the more recent, obviously, um, men or women on the way to canonization. I had heard that he was just like super um, 
a super good model of what it looks like to evangelize in sort of the modern world. And so I, I read the book and was captivated by that because he did give a powerful witness. And I'll talk about that more later. But the other reason I was thinking about this a lot is how many of you guys have seen the movie Tenet? That's right. Alex hasn't. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, don't I, I watched it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I asked that either. But I watched it this <laughs> past week. <laughs> it was like a crowded movie theater. And by crowded, I mean it was me and Kenzie and uh, one other couple that showed up 10 minutes late sitting six rows behind us. And that was it. That was the entire theater. Uh, but So very crowded. Uh, but uh, we... We watched Tenet, and it was really good, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I will say that I was left uh, pretty unlike impressed with the level of moral development or sort of like connection that you felt to the characters um, that is really evident in most of Christopher Nolan's filmmaking, and mm-hmm. it actually led to a discussion between me and, and Rocky, one of the students here at OU. Uh, we just talked a lot about how we felt that lack and how even though so much of it was so well done, we felt like it wasn't even close to being one of his best movies because of that lack of story, which led to us actually having like a 30-minute discussion about the importance of moral development and character and all this stuff in in a story and how, how we're made to like talk about that. So those are some of the things that made it come up in my mind. Uh, yeah, I don't, I want to stop, Alex. <laughs> Take it away. Yeah. Yep. That was pretty much just what you like, pretty much exactly what you said <laughs> leading up to the actual, uh, when we were deciding okay. on the topic. I, I'll, I'll give I you the thought. what I'll add. There you go. You know what? I was saying, oh. I can give you, I can give you uh, a, a juicy morsel of thought provoking content if that would help. Well, I was just going to say, I, I guess I'll add like, just the fact that was so funny. <laughs> just because I feel like I've got you off like six times now, but it was because I was trying to like, because you were like, uh, I don't know what to say. And then I keep trying to like, anyway, <laughs> this whole like three minute segment can probably get edited out. But anyway, you're just going to add. It could. Um, gosh. Like, also I would add like, there's something about um stories that just like, bring people together like people love stories um especially like i don't know if you've ever like been sitting around like a campfire with like a bunch of other guys um and then people like start swapping stories about stuff i think that in our generation it's not that man humanity was not captivated by stories before because ultimately the gospel is is the revelation or or sort of the the um, hinge point of this long drawn out story. And in fact, the gospel really is the whole story of God's like self, you know, salvific plan for, for our life. His, his, his goodness displayed through the characters that he has like set throughout history, all these things. So the story is always by nature, like at the heart and core of our being. But I think especially in modern times, when you have what we talked about last week, this anima technico vacua, this, this complete, um, almost sort of dictatorship of constant content, constant media. And, and if, you know, a lot of these medias, you see this continual reliance on all these facts, all these studies, all these things. And it's not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not against science or, or technology or facts or any of these things. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times we mm-hmm. become distrustful of the data we hear because we're like, oh, well, what were your controls? What were your variables? 
because we see all the time all these facts or data that people are throwing out and all these like claims that we've almost become jaded where by nature instead of trusting we don't trust and i think what's interesting about this this story this fake story that you brought up is it reveals the opposite is true when it comes to story is people are are ticked at the end when they realize that the story is fake because by nature they trust the story they trust that the story reveals something whereas i think the modern mm-hmm. kind of reaction to to facts or studies or all those things is the opposite or news right we we always have this distrust um and so i think it's really interesting because the the personal uh, accounts or testimony of something that has happening in our lives this type of story is so incredibly powerful especially in, in a culture that largely distrusts other ways of persuasion or other means of of unveiling i guess truth about the world what do you think i don't know yes yeah i don't know that is interesting um Maybe I'm wrong. That's just the take I'm thinking true. of right no, now. No, no, no. I'm, I'm following. I think that people have this tendency to, especially nowadays, like argue with stories. Um, because it's like you can't really refute like a a personal experience. <clears throat> Does that make sense? I think I'm thinking to like, I don't know, like stuff like, so like the philosophy, um, the like uh, capstone class in the philosophy set capstone class here, you have to argue um, two sides. You get assigned to a side of the same question. Is beauty a transcendental? Or it's either that or can you evangelize with beauty? One or the other. Um, and one of the guys got assigned beauty is not a transcendental. Oof. And he's like, I have no idea how to argue this. Like, I, because <laughs> one, he's like, one, like, I always just kind of assumed it was. Um, but two, like, how do you argue with, you know, these professors and these people who talk about how beauty evangelized them. Like, how do you argue with a story? How do you refute personal experience? And it's kind of interesting because something we talk about a lot in philosophy is that philosophy is rooted in experience, you know, is abstracting the experiences you have um, yep. when you get down to it. Um, yeah. Like even, even and this and, is both, this is like any side. Like, it doesn't matter what side you're on. It's always in, taking place in the context of a real experience. Like, even, you know, mm-hmm. Descartes, I think, therefore I am. He's he's re- he's conveying his yes. an outward projection of his experience on the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Descartes several times in his meditations, actually. Uh, this is something I actually thought was really interested, interesting. Was, like, basically, this is a guy who's, like, who's saying, like, you could be deceived by anything. But there were a few points where he had to be like, yeah, like, basically, if you don't trust me on it, you kind of have to just, like, think for yourself. Like, basically, like, yeah, you kind of have to just trust your own experience on this one. And I I think, like, that that's what it really, like, comes down to. And, like, Aristotelian um, philosophy, like, 
to the same degree or to to more so a degree actually it's like it basically comes down to like experience you know and abstracting from that experience like you kind of at the end of the day like you really can only know from your own experience um and science as well like you can only really know things from your own experience where it's like you measure these things over and over again um but like that experience is used and like the measurements that you use from that experience is yep. used to either support or re- refute a hypothesis um mm-hmm. so it's kind of like interesting yeah people argue with experiences because at the end of the day personal experience is kind of where a lot of where philosophy pretty much begins you know is abstracting from that personal experience yeah but but i think that experience is used in in a way that transcends almost an argument uh maybe this is the fourth mm-hmm. transcendental no i'm just kidding oh uh, <laughs> but uh i'm totally joking that was really dumb if anyone studied philosophy they would literally punch me in the face for saying that but anyway <laughs> i'm um, tempted yeah so i think though that experience transcends the argument and here and like it's not that it it isn't encompassed within the argument because a lot obviously like you're saying like many arguments employ experience as a means by which to validate their claim but i think that the reason i i say that experience would transcend it is that it 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 isn't like in a in a in a sense like lo- logical or deductive um i guess it is well i guess deductive and inductive reasoning would use experience but i i'm having a hard time saying it but i th- i think the idea is like experience the reason why what you're saying is like someone can't argue with it is because if you give a fact or you give a um, takeaway, you know, you have some sort of like you give an experience and then you extrapolate a lesson from it. Well, someone would contest the lesson that you might have learned, but they can't te- contest the experience because there's the assumption that like it's it's ludicrous that you would try to challenge people's experience in most cases because it's assuming that mm-hmm. like it, it's literally you're literally saying like it. No, you're lying. Which it's way different to mm-hmm. say you're wrong than to say you're lying, you know? Um, yeah. So so I think that yeah. the reason I say this is like it's it transcends argument because it almost can't be argued against. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's why the story or the experience is so powerful. And this is why Jesus and obviously the gospel itself being largely, um, you know, you could explain it in a lot of different ways. It's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the unveiling of God's plan for our life, but ultimately it's the story of God's love for, for humanity. And the, the themes or the, the, the sort of like longings in our heart that identify with that story are more powerful than someone's like argument for why, like I, I could make a, like a, like a decent argument. And I, when I say, I, I mean, I would be severely limited, but I could pull from, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas and um, Pascal's wager, whatever I could go, you know, to different places to give you evidence of some sort to, to sort of gesture towards God. But this, the power of the gospel is that it's unveiled in the story that strikes at the core of people's hearts and their longings in a way that like an argument doesn't, does that make sense? Kind of what I'm saying, how it transcends mm-hmm. an argument. Yeah. Even though it's encompassed so. within them. An argument, an argument probably isn't going to convict you. A story is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this is like, if you know public speaking at all, it's almost like unheard of to not 
like any successful public speaker has to incorporate really powerful and insightful stories mm-hmm. into their public speaking in order to be successful. And what and doesn't that doesn't matter like the field. Like it doesn't matter if they're even if they're like in a tech field, you know, they're they're having to use these sort of like analogous stories to help uh illuminate the the meaning of these things that they're teaching. Uh, cause like you see, I mean, I'm not saying Ted talks is the only way to do this. And obviously Ted talks are largely for audiences that may not mm-hmm. be competent in the information they're presenting. But like, when was the last time you listened to a Ted talk that didn't have a story? Like it, it always does. Yeah. And the, and it's not just because they're like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's because they know that any, any presenter knows that like in order to really drive your, your point home, the story has to like capture attention. Um, and so we could talk about this for a while. What I think is interesting about this is, is this is what I'm saying about the, like moving away from like an argument into a story. It's really kind of, I would argue the whole point of Evangelion Nuziandi, which is again, Pope Paul, the six St. Pope Paul, the six, uh, letter on evangelization in the modern world that he wrote. And he talks about how our witness of life is, is chiefly one of the means he, he does say, again, this is important, that there must be a, you know, a proclamation of the gospel, of Jesus' preaching, teaching, his miracles, his life, the kingdom of God. All those things have to be taught. But he, he emphasizes that they are unveiled in the context of a witness of life, which is just the idea of like the term we use in focus of incarnational evangelization, that, that that has to be lived out in the flesh. But his whole point, really, is that you have to involve like the teaching of the faith in, in the story of your life. Like you can't, you can't present it in a vacuum in a classroom mm-hmm. setting. Like that's in the modern world. His claim is, you know, writing as a saint and Pope at the time. Well, he wasn't saying that time, but whatever <laughs> his, his point is <laughs> that the story is necessary to proclamation of the gospel in the modern world, that you have to have the story yeah. of your life that, that they're invited into in order for it to be accepted and promulgated amongst, you know, modern man. There's like, there's something to the fact that like, I like I've heard the term God haunted to be used in Evelyn Waugh's writing before where Evelyn Waugh he uses these stories that I don't know if anyone has read him um basically the stories like seem like they really have nothing to do with God a lot of times but um and specifically the the book I've read by him is Brideshead Revisited. There's something about like how these people are all just haunted in a sense by their faith, by Catholicism specifically. Um, they're haunted by it because it kind of like keeps popping into their lives. And there's this sense of like, they know they should take it more seriously, but they just don't. And, um, there's just something about the fact that it just intertwines God, the story of God with the story of their lives. That's just like, they have such mundane lives. Well, not really that mundane actually at all. <laughs> um, it's just like, I don't know. The story becomes like a lot more interesting. The story of of their faith becomes a lot more interesting when you realize it in the context of the rest of their lives. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think what you're saying is true is that like, 
well, let me, are, are you saying that basically like the story becomes more interesting through their life and their lives become more interesting through understanding their story? Kind of like a both hand. Yeah, kind of. Um, because I think what you're saying is like, like you, the sort of like drama of their coming to know the Lord or, or their faith is like displayed through the story. And it, it, it like almost like the, the story. Well, maybe I'm not doing a good job explaining this. I don't know. Something, something I was just thinking about when you were talking about this is that this is one of the things I think is most dangerous and why this topic of story is so important is I think that we've lost our sense of story of our own life. Um, so this is something I was reflecting on today, actually, when I was considering just my conversion and not conversion, I was grew up Catholic, but I sort of like coming to more fully claim the faith, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, one of the moments of conversion in my life. And I think that what really was one of the first things that clicked for me that made me want to like pursue and, and set out on the course of like giving my life over to the Lord was that whenever I started to believe that I had a story, because I think that when we've removed this idea of like our connectivity to God's kingdom, our call to be, you know, soldiers and, and missionaries, like in, in the battle for souls and that, that God is pursuing us recklessly or not recklessly, but, but, uh, you know, completely and wholly pursuing us in a, in a total way. And that, that love like draws us into this amazing story. You know, especially when we have the context of the Old Testament, we see how long God has been at, at work to, to draw, his, draw us to himself. When all of those things start to fall into place, we regain our sense of story because we, we know like what character we are in, in, in the novel. We know like what role we play. But I think that the modern culture has, has really like this culture of death that mo- largely pervades our life, I think is most powerfully maybe like uh, persists because of the fact that most people don't see their life as being part of a story. Um, because the stories, once you've taken away this idea of like the assumption that we are created, you know, in the image and likeness of God, and we have this connectivity to him. And the, the question remains like, is there a God? And like, what's the meaning of life? When these questions can't be answered, we lose a sense of story and we start to find an idea of like mechanistic, almost like industrial revolution esque, uh, meaning for our life that's that's devoid of like its power to to lead us to authentic joy is that is that okay just take anything i said from there i don't know i'm kind of rambling but something i was thinking about yeah i don't know kind of getting back to your like original point too um i find it really interesting kind of the concept of like being able to take the true and good things out of stories where it's like you're kind of talking about with Tenet and with like a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, there are a lot of like transcendental themes and, um, you know, like these characters that are, you know, like pursuing to right these wrongs that they've done or in the case of like, the Batman films, it's kind of interesting. I find it interesting. Um, where it's like Batman, the Batman versus Joker dynamic of, um, like, can Batman, like, 
win the heart of Gotham, basically. Like, is mm-hmm. or is like the Joker going to like cause Gotham to, um, like I don't know. There's just like this sense of like this good versus evil, and not just like not just in the external like punching each other way, but also in the internal like a battle being waged for hearts that goes on Mm. in a lot of Christopher Nolan movies. Um, but also like a lot of movies in general and seeing that battle waged for hearts happen in movies, I think. And just in stories in general, um, like I think that there's that that's, that is something that's like pretty crucial to, understanding like our own struggle that's going on because like in these fights for like good versus evil in these books like there's not a whole lot of just punching each other going on in real life or just like shooting at each other and whoever survives when i don't know you know what i mean like there's not a whole lot of like war going on like just outright i mean there is don't get me wrong on but like not in our lives for sure. And, um, and like, it's not like a universal thing where good versus evil plays out that cleanly in, in like a battle like that or in a war, like it's, it can get confusing, but like what's not confusing is that battle for hearts. Um, yeah, there is like a battle for good, whether your heart is, you, you know, like there's a there's a battle being waged in your own heart that is completely personal to you over good and evil. Like, yeah, I, one of the most fascinating lines one of the professors has given us this year was about a topic I never hear addressed in class um, on syllabus day. He I might have mentioned this already. But he was talking about plagiarism and he's like, all right, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. Like everybody thinks cheating about cheating. They're like, when they think about cheating, they're like, Oh, I'm not a cheater. Like everybody says that they're like, I'm not a cheater. I'm n- I would never cheat. Um, but when it comes down to it, whenever it's like the last minute and you forgot to do an assignment or you're going to fail the class, if you don't, if you don't like uh, like do something and like just copy like a little bit here a little bit there make these like compromises when it comes down to that moment if you didn't go in with a plan you're going to find yourself um falling and you're going to become a cheater and he was like you have to remember i it was just really interesting cuz it was just like such a powerful talk over just like plagiarism and like, which is something that people completely skin up, skim over. And he goes, you have to remember that the battle between good of and evil is waged in everyone in every man's heart. The line between good and evil is not drawn. I can't remember the exact quote. He said the line between good and evil isn't drawn between one man and another. I think he said it's drawn down every man's heart or <laughs> Something like that. Yes, exactly. No, that's such a good Mm -hmm. insight. And 
when like what you're talking about from Batman, I mean, that is the point. Like when you look mm-hmm. at especially the Dark Knight, which, you know, they're all three yeah. masterful. I think that might be the most masterful one. Mm-hmm. But gosh, isn't that the drama? Like the Joker's whole aim, and this is really like he's a micro, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously a, a clear projection of, of the Satan, of, of the evil one, the accuser, is to make like Batman lose his his belief in like the good. Like it, it's not even like that mm-hmm. he wants to do some exterior damage to the city because that's like that's the whole point. He burns all of his millions of dollars. Like he does, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about all of those other things that he does. Like he takes delight in them to some extent. But his his own his chief aim is to see Batman lose hope in the good, like that's what he wants, and that's and that's really like Christopher Nolan's masterful here, because like, that is Satan, like that that's his goal. You know, whether he mm-hmm. kills millions or people get tortured or you know terrific things happens, of, of course he delights in it. But his his only aim and like in his existence at this point is to dissuade us from believing in in God's goodness, right? And that's his card from literally mm-hmm. the very beginning from Genesis chapter three, that's his card to get us to stop believing. And, and like you saying this, this drama of this narrative of the battle between good and evil is played out in all of our hearts. And this is where, if mm-hmm. you tie this into the world at large, this is what I'm saying about like why stories are so important. Look at, at like the media and look at politics and tell me where you see any sense of like individual guilt or, or acknowledgement of like fault. Mm. you you mm-hmm. won't you won't find it yeah um what you see largely is is the same response again of the fallen now fallen adam and eve of casting the blame at each other and and when we talk mm-hmm. about the polarization of the country that's like literally all you see you see these these different medias that are uh you know kind of hinged and polarized on different en- ends of the, the world and are just taking shots shooting at each other and there's no ability to be like you know what Maybe I'm right about this, but I was wrong about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I know something about this, but I actually am ignorant on this and I need to be informed as much as that's hard for me to say. There's no mm-hmm. sense of, of that. And it's because they've, we've lost the sense of there's a story of like the, the, the narrative, the meta narrative of the gospel that's played out in our life of God's like plan to, to rescue us from our own sinfulness, our own attraction to evil and our own heart. And so we've, we've lost mm-hmm. our ability to say like, I I messed up like I did this, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just think that's so important because if we don't see, if we don't see (laughs) our lives as part of this big story, you know, we, when we've lost our identity, we've lost like who we are. We now ask like, who am I? Where am I going? What's the point of my life? And we don't have legitimate answers to those questions because we find it unknowable and a mechanistic age that can only tell us like, how we get to places, but not where we're going. Mm-hmm. What happens is, is we've lost sight of the battle for our own hearts and we've lost sight really of God and, and, and all goodness along the way. Yeah. Dude, I find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I think this is why this topic of story is so captivating to me because gosh, if people believe that like, if people believe that there was a real story for their life, because you know, I, I just had a Bible study last night with freshman dudes, and this is what I always hear. I asked them like, kind of the question that uh, I, I do this a lot of times to start off my Bible studies. No matter what study I'm doing, I always start with uh, just praying and, and like reading through John chapter one, specifically mm-hmm. in the calling of the first disciples and Peter and Andrew. Or mm-hmm. sorry, not Peter and Andrew. Gosh, who is it? 
I don't remember. I can't remember right now. Uh, anyway, this is terrible. I literally just slid it last night. Anyway, um, it's the calling of the first disciples. And he like, he asked them like, what do you seek? And I asked that question normally of people in the Bible study. And it's crazy that I get some variation of the same answer every single time. And that answer is like, I want to be successful or like, I want to make it in life or I want to figure out like where I'm going and stuff like that. But it's never like, I want to know who I am, you know, like no, like no one ever, mm-hmm. I, we kind of just assume like, all right, I'm a human being and I, you know, I poop, I eat and I, I need to make a good money and have a 401k for a family and then settle down and have a lot of comfort along the way and have some nice vacations. Like that seems to be the implied like answer that most people just kind of assume of like who they are. And so the, they're all, they're like, everyone's so fixated on these questions of like, how am I going to mm-hmm. get along this path? But they're never asking like, what, why, like, where did the path start? Why am I on this path in the first place? Where am I going? Um, it's, it's because there's like this idea that the story has been ripped out from underneath them. And it's like no one around mm-hmm. them is consciously voicing like those questions, at least like in their like no one's having the conversations talking about it. And so it's kind of like, well, yeah, why would I assume that I'm doing anything different besides just trying to find a good job? that's going to make me a lot of money and like do something that, mm-hmm. that I enjoy in the process, you know? Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about this before too. Um, but yeah, there's just like, there is something to the fact that like, yeah, you're right. Like most people just really are not paying attention at all to where they're going. Like, yeah, like their life, they just assume their life doesn't really have a story. They're seeking, you know, whatever, um, either like worldly success or fame or whatever. Um, and there's like no connecting narrative to it where it's just like, they're looking for just the the next thing to try to fulfill themselves. And yeah, like we said, like there's just like, and then you just never get fulfilled. There's n- never anything that's enough. Yeah. Um, yep, exactly. And it, yeah, there's just longing that never gets yeah. filled. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, it's interesting because I can other people, and I notice this in freshmen very specifically, mm-hmm. but where I also notice it is obviously, again, with this idea, the battle between good and evil take place in my heart. If Satan knows that, like, the more connected I am to God's story for my life and in his story, like, you know, for human, humankind throughout history. And like one of the best ways to break me away from that is to disconnect from me from, from the story. Well, what often happens and this happens to you, it happens to me, it happens to all of us is we kind of get lost in the weeds. You know, we get busy, we get tied up with all these things that we have to do and we get caught up in this responsibility and I feel behind on this. And I think we're, all of these things are good. Like responsibilities are good and, and being active in the world in, in ways that like, you know, accord with our nature and, and bring us closer to unity with the Lord. They're all good. But what I think often happens is, is the devil switches, not like our activities, but our emphasis or our focus. And we take our eyes off of mm-hmm. God and we just kind of fixate them on like, I need to like, you know, mitigate the dangers to my being negligent. And I have to just like do all these things so that I'm successful. And we, success then becomes the normative like end of, of our actions and we we lose our story mm-hmm. if that makes sense and this happens all the time 
like where to me where I get overwhelmed with I have all these things I need to do and I kind of forget the bigger things like where God, I, I forget I cease to be aware of God's presence and in, in the trials of the moment I cease to look for him teaching me and leading me as, as, as a loving father in the middle of those things that are going on and I just get caught up with the busyness of it all and they, they, they wind up like leaving me halfway meritorious because they're meritorious and that maybe I, like I grew some from it but I left on the table the intimacy with the Lord that it could have brought me because mm-hmm. these these things happened and I like I it wasn't a part of a story it was a part of just again the machine I had to I I I re, like kind of fell back into this mechanistic view of the world where I just need to move along and do my part well and and be a well oiled machine so as to produce the most results does that happen to you does it only happen to me. You know what I'm saying? Where you like kind of lose track no. of your place in the story. Yeah. And you just get caught up no, in the yeah, things that need to be done. That's totally true. Where it's like, I think for me, that plays out in an overemphasis on human formation a lot of times. Yep. Where it's like, I'll be going into prayer and like during prayer, I can't help but think about like, I keep thinking of like, oh, I should do this today and I should do this. And like, thinking of like little organizational aspects instead of actually praying um, and things of that nature where it's like, you know, instead of, instead of focusing on how like attentive I've been lately, like I'll focus Mm -hmm. on, um, I'll focus on like, Oh, like it'd be really good of me to have a house plant in my room. Like I should learn how to like, I should learn how to be able to like grow tomatoes or something like that. Or it's like, yeah, it's like, Oh, it'd be like a good skill of me to have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or like, I should, I should read more. Like it'd be really good of me to read more and stuff. And it's like, I, instead of like, instead of pursuing intimacy, I just end up like, I like this human formation, which is supposed to be for the sake of removing roadblocks from my relationship with God and roadblocks with other people from my relationship with other people, human formation instead becomes a roadblock in itself because yeah. I get so caught up in it. Um, is that yeah. kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It's, it's if, yeah. if the devil can't get us to abandon these good and virtuous things, he can get us mm-hmm. to lose sight of the Lord in them and for them to become simply like mechanistic and robotic in order to deprive us of, of the merit and in, in the uh, conformity and, and, and unity to the Lord that we might otherwise attain through it. And so I think that this is, again, the big plot is to, to disassociate us with God's story and his like fa- fatherhood and his, you know, guidance in our life and, and to make us like turn towards these things um, as ends in, of, in and of themselves. Um, yeah. Gosh, I was just thinking something else about this. Um, just that like, this is why it's so important to return to the stories of the saints to recaptivate us with like what, what it looks like, like to give us fleshed out examples of how did the Lord like work in this person's life to, create something amazing to create something beautiful to create something captivating what am i doing in my life in order to keep that end in mind how am i living in accord with a greatness 
of heart, a magnanimity that it sees that the Lord has great desires for me. Not that again, a lot of, and this is the crazy thing. I wonder how many saints there are people that are in heaven that have lived miraculous and crazy lives that I just will never hear about, you know? Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's, it's the belief that we all have to have again, coming back to this idea of God doesn't just want to remove our sin, but replace our sinful tendencies with conformity to him to, to introduce us more fully into his likeness to introduce us into the very heart of the Trinity, which is joy, love, mercy itself. If that's true, what would it be like if I started that process now, if the Lord actually made progress in our hearts towards him in our life, what amazing stories could happen if I lived in the world with that nature in this like broken place? Um, yeah. And I think that's what the hope, the Christian hope that we have to have is like this, is this uh continual belief that the Lord is like working on us and that it's an ongoing journey, but that there's such like greatness ahead of us, you know, not in like mm-hmm. a, not in again, not in a, uh, prideful or, or worldly way of saying like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. you, I just got a bootstrap mentality. I got to hustle. I got to get after yeah. it and then I'm going to do great things. But that just God believes in us and he loves us and like desires us to be like him. And he invites us into that through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that story is what will change hearts. And, and that's going back to where, I, what I was talking about with evangelization. I think that's why stories are so powerful is because they illustrate the, the like the core of the gospel message this idea of like jesus's redemption and elevation of our life in, into god's like and the rescuing from all these things like all of that is most powerfully illustrated in the stories of the scriptures first um stories that we hear of the saints the stories of you know passed down to us whatever um and we need that because that's an antidote to a world that has largely lost its story like that like the stories are so powerful because we might not have lost, we have, well, I could, we, we could have a whole nother episode on how we've lost our ability to, to think clearly too, which is part of it. But I, I just have to be, I've been convicted in my life that this is important. If you want a scripture study on this, a great place to go. There are many other places, but like John chapter four, the woman at the well, this is the classic case of sto- like case for stories and testimony. You know, whenever at the end of the, Jesus meets her, he encounters her. She has a conversion. She goes off back to her town you know, leaves her water jar, all that stuff. And they come at, she they gives a testimony. She's like, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? And at the end of the chapter, one of the very last things they say is they say, you know, we came because of your story, but now we have come to know for our own, for ourselves that he is the Christ. And it's crazy because like, they're like, they're, they even say it like explicitly, like the reason we came was your story and it led us to convert. Like it led us to have, uh, introduction mm-hmm. into who he was. So I think there's just something so mm-hmm. intrinsically powerful about the story. Kind of wrapping it up. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Any last thoughts? I talked a lot. Um, no, I don't really have any. Um, but yeah, Trevor, you want to lead us out in prayer? <laughs> no, I feel like I just talked too much. Uh, <laughs> I'll cut out most of what you said like I usually do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, what? That's news to me. I listen to the episodes and I never notice, so maybe I just have no idea what I'm saying. Um, no, I'm kidding. That was a joke. Yeah, go read the stories of the saints, buddy, I like and help Alex 
go to go to his Kickstarter for his for his comedy club he's starting. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, Whoa. We, we, Whoa there, buddy. We could both use a Kickstarter for that. Dude, if we could get like, is there such a thing as like comedy? Like, like, could you have a comedian like tutor you? That would be hilarious. Yeah, comedy lessons? We should do that. (laughs) Dude, I'm going to look that that. up and see if that's a thing. But anyway. Like on YouTube or something like that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. YouTube comedy. It's like a master class from Jerry Seinfeld. Um, How did you find (laughs) That would be hilarious. I would so go for that. (laughs) <laughs> um, although masterclass is kind of a rip in general, so I'm sure there's another another version of it. But yeah, anyway. uh, in the name the, of the Father, the Son, the yeah. Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear Jesus, I hope that amidst all the things that you were working in my mind, Alex's mind, our hearts, that somehow um, these things that will bring us to a greater conformity to you. I thank you for this conversation that always is a gift in my day. Um, I thank you for the ways that it helps me to think and to ponder you and to ponder who you are. Lord, I ask that you might allow it to be um, a gift to, to both Alex and I and anyone who listens to this to lead us more fully into union with you and that you help us to trust in, in your plan for our life, that you help us to trust that you're, you are not finished in our story yet and that you have great things um, ahead for us if only we believe and trust more fully in your love, your mercy, and, and your desire for us to enter into your own life. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Layman's Terms. Uh, we'll be seeing you. <laughs> I don't know why the way you said that. Have you ever watched the uh, the YouTube channel where it's like oh, daily daily dose of internet, and this is your daily dose no. of internet. Uh, I don't know. It just you're like, yeah, this is been Layman's Terms. <laughs> you like kind of. This is what it is. Yeah. This has been Yeah. We'll be seeing. We'll be seeing. Yeah. All right. <laughs>